0: Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with editor in chief Amy Newmark.
1: Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and it's Friend Friday on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast. We're welcoming back the New York Times best-selling author Brad Meltzer, whose latest bestseller is his first nonfiction book for adults. It's called The First Conspiracy, and it's about a secret plot to kill George Washington. We're going to talk about the book today also about how Brad manages to put out bestseller after bestseller. The discipline required to be a consistently productive author is always inspiring, since it's just you and that blank screen when you're a writer. Brad, welcome back to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast.
2: Oh, so good to be back.
1: I can't wait to talk about your new book, but first, let me tell our listeners a little more about you. So, Brad Meltzer is the New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen books, including The Inner Circle, The Book of Fate, and his latest thriller, The Escape Artist, which debuted at number one on the bestseller list. He also writes nonfiction, advice, children's books, and even comic books, and he's the host of Brad Meltzer's Lost History and Brad Meltzer's Decoded on the History Channel The Hollywood Reporter put Brad on their list of Hollywood's 25 most powerful authors. He's also responsible for helping to find the missing 9-11 flag that the firefighters raised at Ground Zero, which made national news on the 15th anniversary of 9-11. He used his TV show, Brad Meltzer's Lost History, to tell the story of the missing flag, and that resulted in the return of the flag, Brad is a graduate of the University of Michigan and Columbia Law School. In fact, he earned credit from Columbia Law School for writing his first published book, The Tenth Justice, which became an instant New York Times bestseller. So we're so glad to have you back. And I really am looking forward to talking about your new book, The First Conspiracy. So tell us how this came about and why you decided to write a nonfiction book. You
2: know, I just had never found a story that was good enough to do nonfiction. And this was the story I knew was meant for me. I found it in all places where the great stories always hide in the footnotes. And I was reading and doing some research on one of my thrillers. And I saw this footnote that said something like the secret plot to kill George Washington. And I was like, is this real? Is this fake? What is it? And it was real. In 1776, there really was a secret plot to kill George Washington when George Washington found out about it, he gathered up those responsible, he built a gallows, and he hanged one of the main people responsible in front of 20,000 people. It was the largest public execution at that point in North American history. George Washington brought the hammer down, was like, do not mess with me, I'm George Washington. I'm gonna be on the money one day. Um, and, But I just, um, I thought, I gotta find out more about the story. And uh, one of the things I did is I took it to one of the great Pulitzer Prize winning authors, Joseph Ellis, who wrote a great George Washington biography. And I said, do you know the story? I've never heard about it. I'm thinking of doing a book on it. And he said, I know the story. He said, but here's the thing. It's a book that is about Washington spies. It's a story about Washington spies. He said, you can find every slave, the exact number of slaves George Washington owned, but you'll never find all of his spies. He said, by its nature... What you're searching for will forever be elusive. But he said, you got to try. If you do, you'll get a great book. And if not, you'll have an adventure. And it led me to the adventure and the book that became the first conspiracy, uh, the secret plot to kill George Washington.
1: It just shows you that what we learn about history is so not nuanced. I mean, history really has nuances. And yet we're basically taught like all the Americans We're behind George Washington. Everybody loved him. And of course, it's not that way. And history never really is. But they don't teach us those nuances. Everything is black and white, right? Well, you know, we're a
2: country founded on legends and myths. And the legends and myths we love most are our own. And we love to tell the story that the Revolutionary War happened and George Washington came. We all held hands and dreamed of democracy. And sure enough, we beat the British, the greatest fighting force the world had ever known at that point. It's a great story. It's not the real story. And the real story is far more complex and also far more inspiring. Um, If it was easy, what's to be impressed by? But when it's hard, now now I'm listening. And I found out George Washington, while researching this book, George Washington had his own private bodyguards. He asked all of his top regiments, he said, give me your four best men. He wanted the best of the best. He called them drilled men. And George Washington personally narrowed it down to about 50 men They became what was known as the General Guard. Some called them the Commander's Guard. But the name that stuck were the lifeguards. Because part of their job was to guard George Washington's life. And these were the men who turned on George Washington. And I don't care if you're the greatest general. I don't care if you're the first president. I don't care how strong you are. That is a moment that is devastating to George Washington. And I love finding those stories.
1: Wow, that would be like if the Secret Service was secretly conspiring against the president.
2: Right. And again, look at the world we live in today. I think that these stories that happen in our news today are all new, but they're not. They've happened over and over. You know, we think we're divided as a country today. But back then in 1776, as the British were invading here in the Revolutionary War, there were nearly as many loyalists on the British side as there are patriots on the American side. And it was no different in our own military. You know, we weren't just one military. We had different regiments. It was a Massachusetts regiment, and a Virginia regiment, and there was a Connecticut regiment. They didn't get along. They didn't even wear the same uniforms. Everyone dressed in their own thing. So when the Virginians show up and the Massachusetts guys see them, they start making fun of them. They don't like their frilly uniforms. They have some frilly on their outfit. Huge fight breaks out. And when George Washington, this all happens in Massachusetts and Harvard Square, George Washington sees the fight, races in on his horse, leaps off the horse, basically grabs two of the guys and is shaking them and saying, stop fighting with each other. We're on the same team. And if ever there were a metaphor for where we are today, there it is. And I think it's very important that you always you know, realize that, again, if it was easy, if all this stuff happened easy, we wouldn't be impressed. What's amazing is how hard. George Washington had to put his arms around us. You know, the best leaders always bring us together. They don't divide us. And George Washington literally put his arms around all of his men, all of the country at the time and said, listen, we're stronger when we stand with each other. And that is one of the great leadership values that you know I learned while researching the first conspiracy.
1: That is great. And I know you actually worked a bit with two former presidents in creating this book. I did.
2: I was very lucky when I was working on this book I got very nice blurbs from President Clinton and also President George H.W. Bush. And one of the most amazing things happens when I was researching this book and, and finally the book came out is we knew what was happening, that George President George H.W. Bush was sick. And I was actually in uh, Maine, in Kennebunkport, because we were honoring his wife, Barbara Bush, who had passed away a year ago. And she, I had done a lot of work for literacy. She does this work with Democrats, Republicans, brings everyone together. And Barbara Bush used to fight for literacy. You know, she said you got to teach everyone how to read—not just kids, but adults—and they could be immigrants, they could be any color skin, they could be anyone. That's how you unlock the American dream. You teach everyone how to read, and I love that idea. So we were honoring Mrs. Bush at this literacy event, and at this point, we knew President Bush was sick. And they told me that they were bringing some of President Bush's favorite authors to come in and read to him. And they asked me if I would come. I said, "Of course, I'd be honored." And I go to his office. The Secret Service let me in. It's me and my wife. And we know what's happening at this point. You know, this is the end. It's me. It's my wife. It's President Bush and his service dog, Sully. They tell us we're only going to read for about 10 minutes because he sleeps a lot these days, they told me. And so he's going to fall asleep within 10 minutes. I said, that's okay I'd be honored to do this. And I walk into his office and there's a, about half a dozen books stacked up on his desk. And one of them is The First Conspiracy. And I had sent it to him nearly a year ago. That's how he read it for the blurb. But at this point, it's just dog-eared. I can't tell you, like, it's been read so many times. And I brought my own copy. It said, President Bush, this book you want to read? He says, uh-huh, because he can't really speak at this point. He can nod. hmm And I started reading, and the passage that I brought to read him was one of my favorite in the whole book. And it's this moment where George Washington has the Declaration of Independence read to his troops for the very first time. And I'm reading through the chapter. And sure enough, 10 minutes in, President Bush falls asleep. And I just want to finish the chapter so I know that I've you know, got to do my job. And I get to those words, those words we all know. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And in that moment, President Bush's eyes go wide. He locks on me like a laser. He's wide awake, as if The words from the Declaration of Independence are part of his very lifeblood. And he's staring at me. And I get to the end of the chapter. I say, sir, you want to read another chapter? "Mm Mm-hmm. We read another. I say, you want to read another chapter? "Mm Mm-hmm. And another. "Mm -hmm." Mm-hmm. Instead of being there 10 minutes, I'm there for a full hour. And by the time I'm done, of course, I I say goodbye. I know I'm never going to see him again. And I thank him. And to be able to read about our first president who at that point, the oldest living president is one of the most humbling of my life. But I will also say when the funeral happened, one of the things that I was struck by is that there was one word that I heard people use over and over when they described President Bush. And it was this word, decency, decency. And yes, it was because he was a decent man, but I think it's also because as a country, again, whatever your politics are, whatever side you're on, we're starving for decency. The way we talk to each other is disgusting today. And I love that I get to bring those lessons of modesty and decency, those lessons I learned from George Washington and from President Bush, that I got to experience that one last time with him.
1: It was incredible. That is great. All right, we're going to break for an ad from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. We're back with Brad Meltzer, and we've been talking about his latest bestseller. But now we're going to talk about the life of a writer and maybe even hear another George Washington story if we have time. So first of all, because I've promised our writers out there you're going to talk about this, how do you get yourself to write every day?
2: Like anything else, you have to be passionate about it. Anything that you love to do, you will find time to do it. And I think that's a huge part for me. I'll also tell you that I got 24 rejection letters on my first book. 24 people told me I should give it up. And every day that I sit down to write, I remember the day that I got my 23rd and 24th rejection letter. I thought they were supposed to be actually acceptance letters, and they were rejection letters. And I remember picking up the phone. I thought they were going to say yes. And my agent said, wait by your phone. I'm going to tell you. I think there's going to be a bit on your book. I was in debt from college, in debt from school. And I picked up the phone. She said, sorry, kiddo and my heart just sunk. There was number 23 and 24, my first book rejected everywhere. And to this day, for 21 years now, every single day that I sit down to write, I replay that moment when I got my 23rd and 24th letter. I replay the phone I was holding in my hand. It was one of those clear see-through ones where you could see the wires like it was high-tech at the time. I picture the formica desk on my left, the bed in the box spring with, you know, it was nothing fancy, just a bed in a box spring on my right. I picture the, balcony, I was looking over the concrete parking lot below it. And diagonally to my left, there was a fire station with three doors. And I count those doors, one, two, three. And then I say those words to myself, sorry, kiddo, because I never, ever want to think I made it. I never want to think that I'm anything but blessed to have this job. I never, ever want to not appreciate this life I've been given. And I always want to be as hungry as I was when I was in my young 20s. And 21 years, every single day I sit down to write, I say it, sorry, kiddo, sorry, kiddo, sorry, kiddo. Um, and to me, that is what motivates me every day to be hungry.
1: I love that. Humility is your fuel. It really is.
2: And the same thing, perfect story to end on is, it's why I was so attracted to this George Washington story. I'll leave you with this moment. It is an ultimate writing tip. is If you also want to write, you got to find the right story the one that you're passionate about. So I've told you my passion. Let me show you the story I found to match it. And I was going through and researching Washington. And we all tell the story, you know, George Washington won the war. But in truth, in the early battles, especially, we didn't win. The Battle of Brooklyn, the first great battle of the war when the British invaded in 1776. We got our butts kicked. George Washington got out generals. He didn't have the experience of the British generals. And he gets pinned down. He's got the British in front of him. He's got the East River behind him. This is the moment George Washington should die. It's over. It's done. And instead, George Washington does the best thing he always does. He improvises. And he plans a daring escape in the middle of the night. And what he does in that moment is they commandeer every boat that he can find along the East River. And in the middle of the night, he starts putting his men on board these boats. But here's the key moment. George Washington won't get on any of the boats until he makes sure that his own men are away safely and that they've gotten away and are safe. And they see that he's risking his life for theirs. And that, to me, it's not that that's the moment that brought America together. There are plenty before and plenty after. But I love when you read the first conspiracy that you hear about the secret plot to kill George Washington. What I love just as much is that when you read this book, you also get to see the depth of George Washington's character. You know, today we favor those on social media who are great at calling attention to themselves, saying, look at me, writing all caps and exclamation points. But that's not what a leader is. Leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. And when I heard that story of George Washington, I knew I was ready to write that day.
1: I think that's great. And that's a really great way to summarize your book. It's really about a return to basic decency, civility, and values.
2: That's it. That's what The First Conspiracy has always been about. That's what George Washington is about. That's, to me, why we study our history, to see our best selves.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're running off to a lacrosse game, which is the most important yeah, thing of my, all. Yeah,
2: uh, I know. I have to, my, when my kids are playing, there's no bigger priority. All writing goes on hold. So that's not the way for me to write.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Brad. Thank you so much. You can learn more about Brad Meltzer at his website, bradmeltzer.com, or on Facebook, and he goes there by Brad Meltzer, or Twitter where he's Brad Meltzer. And I'm Amy Newmark on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Brad Meltzer, one of the most famous authors in the country. Come back for our next episode to hear two more stories from our newest bestseller, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Mom Knows Best. I'll be sharing advice from other people's mothers that might just get you to acknowledge that your own mother is always right too.
0: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too?